0: Hi everyone and welcome to Connected Learning TV. This is the second webinar in our October series with Ed Tech Teacher, titled How to Be a Better Connector, Strategies for Educators, Parents, and Admins. I'm John Baralone, the Community Manager for the Connected Learning Alliance and I'm going to be our host for today. Uh, throughout this month on Connected Learning TV we're exploring how educators and parents and learning environment admins can support the principles and values of an approach to education that we call connected learning. And today we're chatting specifically about what parents need to know about encouraging their kids uh, peer supported learning, whether it's online or offline. But before we dive into our chat, just Let's go over a couple quick details, as usual. To those who are watching us live right now, either on uh, Google Plus or YouTube, we really welcome your comments and questions, um, especially via the Twitter hashtag uh, for Connected Educator Month, that's CE14, or via this Google Plus event page. And we'll do our best to address your questions here in the Google Hangout. And we're also chatting throughout the month in the Connected Learning community on Google+. Um, but before we start, uh, I'd like to give our guests here a chance to briefly introduce themselves. So I'm just going to go from uh, my left to right. And so Franklin, do you want to start us off? You'll have to unmute yourself there. Hello.
1: Yes, hello. I'm the um, South Boston uh, Computer Clubhouse coordinator. i um, also doing um work around family creative learning um, with uh, uh, Rick Rose Roque from the um, MIT uh, Lifelong Kindergarten uh, group from the MIT Media Lab. And uh, um, so what brings me to the table is uh, we're working with families and um, connecting with youth as um, how to engage in meaningful experiences uh, around technology.
0: Awesome, thanks. And Patrick, you want to go next?
2: Thank you. Uh, My name is Patrick Larkin. I'm the Assistant Superintendent for Learning in Burlington Public Schools in Burlington, Massachusetts. And the reason I'm here is because I think we try to uh, overcome some of the perceptions that are out there about the use of social media tools and um, parents are scared because some of this stuff is so far from their own experience, and I think it's our job in schools to make it less scary and actually show them how these things can be used constructively. So I'm very passionate about that and happy to be a member with this group tonight.
0: Thanks for joining us. And Sarah?
3: Hi. Um, I'm Sarah Otts. I am on the uh, community team and the moderation team for the Scratch uh, online community and also a longtime user of Scratch. I used it um, all through high school as well. Um, So I guess I'm here because I care about the Scratch online community and how learning can happen online.
0: Thanks for joining. And Tanya, you want to close us out?
4: Sure. Hi, my name is Tanya Evereth. I, um, I am currently on leave uh, from the Lester B. Pearson School Board um, where I was the lead teacher for educational technology and digital citizenship education. So I worked with schools and parents to help move technology and innovation forward. And a big part of what I did was community outreach and uh, working with, you know, parents to educate them on not being fearful of technology but, you know, how they can use it with their kids in a really productive way and currently I work for EdTech teacher and live in South Florida.
0: Awesome and thank you all again in advance for you know taking some time out of your very busy days share uh, an hour of awesome insights and stories and energy with us. So one of the things I wanted to start off with is just kind of setting the stage a little bit. This phrase peer supported learning might be a little bit new for some people um. So I just wanted to get in your own words, kind of each of you going down the line. Um, what does good peer-supported learning look like to you, or mean to you? Kind of, what's an ideal peer-supported learning environment? Do you think? And I'll just kind of let anyone jump in, and and we'll kind of popcorn after that.
4: Well, I mean I think peer supported learning is really a you know giving ownership to students to sort of move forward with their learning um, I think that's a big part of it being able to collaborate to work you know and um, and find you know answers not always have things you know be given to them and be able to discover through learning
2: I think that's a a great start and I think the thing that overwhelms me for this question is um, do we have to define what a peer is, first of all? Because our definition of what peers are traditionally has been those kids sitting in the same classroom with us. And now I think we're going to get at the heart of some of that and some of the other questions down the road here. But um, a peer can be anybody that shares a passion with you that you work together or learn together with. So I just think it's really exciting to expand that definition of what a peer is and at the same time expand the possibilities of what we can do with those peers. I agree. Um, I also think that uh, peer
1: uh, to learn is also um, it's safe. Um, It's being able to explore and express uh, passions as well and also problem-solve as well from from those that you feel safe around doing that with, and also there's a there's a connection with, um, so it's not it's it's not a a task. It's it's more so um, an experience of like growth and learning at the same time.
3: Yeah, i ag- I agree. I'd say that uh, peer supported learning is something that's fun and that uh, everyone I think benefits from in the relationship of someone you know helping someone else and the person being helped.
0: So in my experience, uh, peer supported learning starts a lot of the time with peers sharing some kind of common interest or passion or purpose in wanting to learn together and a lot of the times it seems that kind of interest-powered learning, peer-supported learning, is happening outside of schools in spaces like uh, libraries, museums, or after-school programs or even online in learning communities. Uh, So this one is kind of more geared toward Patrick since you're working more in the formal education space. How are you seeing um, peer-supported learning playing out in, you know, for example, K-12 schools versus outside of school?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, the the key, it it comes a lot to I think the leadership of uh, a school district and the school board and what the expectations are because I think you can never get close to some of the things we're going to be talking about in regards to peer leadership if you're overly focused on standardized test scores and how are my kids doing on you know that that big High-stakes exam, so um, I think again we we have to be clear what our priorities are. You know, um, we're we're big with inquiry-based learning and um, kids solving big problems, and I think some of that stuff lends itself naturally to peer learning, like learning with your peers, learning with others. And um, again, so I, I think it really comes down to what the district's philosophy is and. It, it's a tough time to, to really push some of this stuff depending on where you're working and and what the priorities of the school or the school district are
0: fair enough and Franklin, Tanya, anything to add in terms of that kind of dichotomy between in-school and out-of-school peer supported learning?
4: Well I think there's definitely a huge disconnect in terms of uh, what Often happens in school, and what happens out of school in terms of peer, you know, support with their, you know, I think that there's a lot of it happening, you know, outside of school, but not necessarily always directed within the classroom. So I definitely think that there's probably a huge disconnect, in, not everywhere, but in a lot of schools, in terms of being sort of connected, um, and 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 being able to provide support within, you know, um, or give opportunities for students to have, you know, the opportunity to, to provide support to each other.
1: Yeah, um, I, I would uh, agree with that. Um, I had from just working with uh, certain members and students, um, some of the stories that they bring back to me is that when they are in school, um, they're, they're learning, but at the same time when they're in a computer clubhouse or they're in uh, an, an after-school program and they're, and they're doing engaging, fun, um, and exciting things, it's, it's different. They say, it's, it's, it's not like school. We're learning, but it's not like school. And when, and when I um, hear that, one thing I, I do think about is, well, what's the environment? What's, what's the atmosphere? What's, what's, what's going on that's creating? Um, you know this this positive ex- experience or the or this positive feeling. So I, I would agree.
0: And Sarah, in your experience with the Scratch online community, and a little bit of background for those who might be hearing about Scratch for the first time, um, it's uh, basically a a way for kids especially to learn code. Um, You're essentially putting coding blocks together, making sprites move. It's really fun, really easy. Um, But there's a huge uh, community surrounding this particular tool program too. So Sarah, how are you seeing peer supported learning playing out in this online community space where normally you might think of, I'm just interacting one on one with this program. But there happens to be a, a community around. How does that work?
3: Oh, I, I see it all over the place. Um, I saw it when I first started using Scratch as a young teenager myself, and that's sort of what kept me scratching, um, because uh, the Scratch online community allows you to share your projects with, you know, everyone on the website, and then the other people on the website can comment on your projects and give you feedback, give you advice, help you out, etc. Um, So when I first started using Scratch, um, I I was really interested in making projects that were related to math, and I met some other users, some of whom were around my age, and some um, were older uh, who were able to help me out and give me ideas, and then I was able to help them, and it was a really good relationship. Um, But more recently, uh, I've seen just, I guess, lots of examples, but uh, recently we started a sort of, I guess, a, a team, an, an initiative on Scratch um, that allowed kids to designate designate themselves as helpers. Um, so they were Scratchers who were particularly interested in helping out other Scratchers. And we see this happening all the time, just organically on the website. But we decided to sort of formalize it like this. It got a lot of excitement from everyone and a lot of uh, feedback and help. given. It was really great.
0: That's awesome. So we've kind of covered a little bit of, you know, what peer-supported learning could look like in a few different ways, a few different environments. Um, so I'd like to dig a little bit more now into kind of speaking to parents and adults and mentors who might be watching this either live or later, kind of what, what are some of the common either challenges or fears specifically that parents might have about letting their kids go into these peer supported learning environments whether it's you know hanging out in a a library after school program with you know other adults and kids that they don't personally know or you know trying to learn with other people and play with other people online what are some of those common fears and you know why does peer supported learning seem so scary at times?
4: I think that there's a bit of a, maybe a bit of a disconnect in terms of um, what parents understand as being passive kind of screen time and, uh, you know, creative, productive screen time. And um, I think that, you know, there there there's a lot of things that happen that come off, um, or, or that we, you know, that we hear about that are, you know, very often really negative. And so I think that without sort of understanding what's going on um, and not sort of sitting down and exploring what's going on with our children, you know, there's definitely um, a lot of, I guess, sort of a, a mystery to, like, what what's really happening. Um, so I think there's there's definitely uh, that component to it
2: I think a lot of it's again going back to this being something new. Um, it's not something that parents experienced as learners themselves, so I think there's some fear involved too, when you say, "My child is learning with strangers or who are these people? How do I know you know what their background is and these types of things. So I think we really need to help parents um, see how this works like bring them in show them um, their child operating in an online community that's based on something that they're passionate about and why we feel comfortable with them being with interacting with these people and again depending on their age what's the type of information they're sharing I just think we kind of have to handhold parents and walk them through it so they get a better understanding of it because I mean ultimately what does a parent want but their child to be passionate about something. So if we can help parents understand um, that this is okay and that we've done our homework and show them how they can do the same work when you know it's summertime or as the kid gets older they can check up on their kids I think that's really important.
1: Yeah, I would have to agree with you, uh, Patrick. I also uh, think that um, taking um, an action in curiosity. So, uh, what I mean by that is, for a parent, if um, there's this fear, for let's give an example, there's a fear around uh, Facebook, for instance. Um, like the or at our clubhouse, like there's there was a fear around like YouTube. But there's many useful ways in which some of these technologies can be used uh, for learning. Um, so, like, taking, like, with that curiosity, if they're, where the where, where that fear lies, if action is is there, I think that I'm just diving in with uh, the child. Sometimes uh, they may feel it's 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 uncool, mom, dad, this is not cool. But uh, but you know, still, I think that still a teenager or a, a younger person. Inwardly is is thinking like, wow, if, if my mom or dad is is, is interested in this, there's like there's an implicit recognition, you know, you know, of of that a young person.
0: And that actually brings up uh, one of my questions that I'd had kind of prior to this conversation that I definitely wanted to get each of your takes on what would be kind of that healthy or good balance between a parent being you know, maybe a little too involved in how their child's learning um, both you know in school out of school with peers um, and then being maybe too hands-offish or maybe a little bit too naive about what their kids doing. I mean is there a good balance or does it all depend on you know the parent-kid relationship and a lot of other factors.
4: Um, When I work with parents and I discuss about you know issues surrounding working online, I think it's really important uh, to sort of have a few kind of golden rules that are sort of made really clear uh, between you know children and their parents and that is that the internet and the web by the very nature of what it is, is not a private place. Um, and it's not that there's not great things that happen and it's not that you know we're trying to be fearful of what happens but i think as a parent it's really sort of under you know, it's really important to understand that you know what our children are doing online is important and it's important that we understand what they're doing online not to say that they shouldn't do things this is where they socialize and they make you know an understanding of their identity and and how they're creating and and, and how they're figuring out who they are and that's fine but it's really important that as parents, we understand that it's not their private place. It's not the diary under their bed. It's the diary under everyone's bed. And so, like, if they're going to be learning on on the web, you know, it's really important that we understand what they're doing and that we're active. And I don't think that, I don't think we have to be overbearing, but I do think that we have to guide them and teach them how to use the technology appropriately and guide their process through that. So I think that it's really important to understand that we're not being overbearing, but we're, we have to know what's, you know, we should know what's going on as parents.
1: I also think it's uh, the demystification of technology, um, and I think that young people can play an integral role in demystifying uh, some of these uh, attitudes or relationships that parents do have with technology. Sometimes the parent may feel like they are the dinosaur in the because technology is moving so fast, so again, uh, that go, that begs that question of how do I keep track of my child? How do how do I know what's going on? Um, and then one thing that also came to mind was was a connection. I think it all starts with 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 the connection with the, with with the child you know, with with a parent with with their child. I think the deeper there's an understanding and there is that connection, um, I think the conversations around uh, technology or whatever it may be is it's it's easier to have to have
2: that's a great point by Franklin if if technology can be a a common thread for parents to share with their with their children I think that's a that's a huge piece of this because we're we're trying to get parents and kids connected uh, parents want to be connected with their kids Um, honestly to go back to you to the original question I, I don't think there's enough knowledge from most parents that I know to even keep tabs on what their kids are up to online uh, especially middle and high school level um, so anything again we can do to to help bridge that gap I think is good for both sides and the the way we try to phrase it from our standpoint in the school system is not to make it this scary thing like not to give parents horror stories about things that could happen to their kids we try to educate them and and show them how they can use these resources constructively, as well as their kids. But I, I really like that that idea of bringing parents and kids together to use the technology. That's awesome.
3: Yeah, I've seen on the Scratch website some great things happening when uh, parents and kids connect over Scratch, just even just a little bit, like. A kid might make a project and say, like, "Oh, my mom! My mom gave me this idea to make this project." Or I made this project for my dad's birthday, or something like that. Or, you know, I heard of parents introducing their kids to Scratch or whatever. So I, I don't definitely really think that I've seen some really successful things happen when parents get a little bit involved.
2: Yeah, it's it's also nice when the child can be the teacher of the adults, and that's another. If we can bring them together, it's a neat thing to see happen. <laughs>
0: And that actually brings up um, talking about kids can sometimes be the teachers or, you know, adults can sometimes be co-learner, co-learners with kids. Um, that brings me up this idea of, you know, what does a good, you know, quote-unquote good mentor look like in a peer-supported learning community? And keeping in mind that it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, tied to age at all. It doesn't have to mean mentor equals adult. but What are some of the characteristics of what we consider
2: to be good mentorship?
4: I think for for our students, it's somebody that understands what they're going through. Um, I, I think, like, very often, I mean, especially if we're talking about... If we're, you know, we're if we're, we're we're sort of referring to what happens online, or are or are connecting, are connecting our peers. If if they're looking for mentorship, I think that it's really important that the people that they turn to are people they can trust, but also people that can understand and relate what um, you know what what that looks like. Um, so I think that, that that being relatable is really important.
1: Yes, I I would definitely have to agree with that as well. Uh, that's one of the first words that popped in my my mind, like um, being able to relate, um, um, and also um, follow through. What I mean by follow through is just not having someone that's gonna just give you a good pep talk, but someone that um, is you're going to be able to uh, ask questions to someone who's going to provide like some sort of guidance, whether implicit or ex- explicit. But um, I think like it, it definitely first starts with just be, just being able to relate to this person, or there's something in you or that says, "Wow, I see part of myself in in that person." There's something that I want to get to know him or her her better, you know. So that's that's. Um,
3: I'd say in an online space, it's someone who's um, welcoming and a little bit outgoing, so they're they're willing to g- go to the new users and help them out. Um, and I, I'd say it's someone who doesn't have all the answers, but is willing to help. Is willing to help figure them out and is enthusiastic in it.
1: And just to add more, I think that there's a certain level of a vulnerability that exists that, that has to occur between um, the people that are who's being mentored and the person that is mentoring. there, there is that there has to be a level of vulnerability so that there's, um, so that the connection can be genuine and it's not something that's just contrived or just there for, for the moment.
0: And Patrick, anything to add there in terms of you know, maybe teacher as kind of the mentor model and helping kids figure out you know, what they're interested in or connect them to other peers? What are maybe some good mindsets or skill sets to have?
2: Again, the number one thing is just uh, kids can tell right away if, if you really care about them. You know, It's building that connection, finding some common ground, just reiterating what some of the others have said. You know, uh, being genuine, uh, the word vulnerable is awesome because that shows that you're genuine, you're willing to um, show a bit of yourself. It's it's just, um, you know, all the qualities that make great teachers. They connect with people, it, I think, um, make for great mentors as well.
0: And again, kind of playing off this. Um you know, formal education system versus informal learning environment um, dichotomy a little bit. Uh, We know that in a lot of K-12 schools you're kind of naturally separated by age group but um, again, kind of thinking with Scratch in mind is one of these, you know, online communities where people can come together just around an interest. There's no real obvious age segregation happening. It's kind of everyone's thrown in it together and sometimes you can have, you know, a a ten-year-old expert teaching a, you know, new sixteen-year-old user or something like that. Um, So I wanted to get your guys' take on why you think it is that in informal or online learning environments, um, age segregation isn't a big deal. I mean, what's kind of the currency within these peer-supported learning networks? and Sarah, as kind of our resident expert, feel free to, to start us off here. I mean, why do you think age isn't really a big deal in the, the Scratch community?
3: Um, well, I think part of it is uh, the technical reason that we don't show age and we don't encourage users to share it. Um, so I, I think that age in general isn't a, a big deal in the Scratch community, although, I mean, it certainly comes up. Um, I think that... Uh, that that results in these sort of, um, I guess, relationship relationships that aren't necessarily, like, age-wise peers. Um, it also results in uh, kids, kids learning things before they're supposed to, um, <laughs> and I mean that in a good way. Uh, like, I've made, you know, math tutorial projects about trigonometry, and I've had kids commenting, you know, oh, I'm only in the fourth grade, but now I know about trig. I'm going to tell my teacher. Um, so I think that's just exciting because everyones I think everyone's just excited to learn and it, age doesn't matter so much. It doesn't matter if a 10-year-old is teaching you and it doesn't matter if you're only 10 and you're not supposed to know about trig. I,
4: I think when someone is engaged and interested, and I think especially when our children are interested in what they're learning about, um, you know, They'll learn. It's like you learn. I think we all learn when we're in the right frame of mind to receive information. And if if you're in the right frame of mind, and um, if your experiences line align, and you are engaged, then age is just you know in that case really just a number. And that's the. I mean, I, I think that's just the beauty about the online space and how we're able now to learn. In ways that were unimaginable, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So, um, yeah. So I think that you know the engagement is huge. That you know, the motivation is there to learn on your own.
2: I think knowledge is the currency when it comes to online, you know, learning communities. Is like age doesn't matter. It's it's what you know, what you bring to the table. And then I think if you're involved in a community that you're passionate about and that has added value to your life you want to work hard to add value back to that community so I think it's just kind of that it works in a full circle that way and again age has nothing to do with it it's about passion.
1: Yeah I think it's also uh, expression Um, expression plays um, a huge uh, part into it Uh, being able to uh, I express yourself uh, with technology or just having like that attitude of like playfulness but when I say playfulness not like playfulness in the sense that like I'm going to like we're playing, that may be fine, but also playfulness and sense that like oh i'm gonna I'm gonna tinker with this. let's let, let's see how how I can you know like learn this and be engaged. I remember um, when I first started, when I wanted to learn um, how to build websites, I thought it was really cool. I thought the art was cool and things like that behind it. So again, that that like how how can I ex- express myself? you know so I, I think that 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 plays a, a role in it as well.
0: And out of curiosity, does, especially in online spaces, does that, you know, anonymity kind of play a factor as well? If you're not connecting with people, you know, face-to-face where it's easy to figure out, oh, you're a little kid, or oh, you're an adult, or, you know, maybe you're in another country, when it's anonymous, does you know that make it a lot easier for people to... Just connect based on you know common interest common knowledge.
1: I would definitely say so. I I think that I think that it's it's also um, a way like like you not knowing like someone who was who may have been ten had may have made this really cool project and that's a way of, like of a of recognition like wow like I can't believe that you you made something like this and uh it's it's another way of connecting as opposed to like having any preconceived notion like you're you're on you're online and you're seeing and and someone and you're you, there's this admiration that 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 can happen um I think so I think that that's part that's a part of it as well so
3: yeah, I'd definitely say it has something to do with it um I think because you don't realize initially. Like, who you're talking to, all you know about a person is, uh, I guess, what they're passionate about, which I think is a really great first thing to know about a person. Um, so you might get to know some people on the Scratch website um, and then only later through conversation realize, you know, that your best friends on the Scratch website are, you know, a, a teacher in India and a 12-year-old in Florida, you know? And it, it, that's exciting. And I think it all has to do with it being anonymous.
4: I almost want to say, like, thank goodness for, like, these opportunities for, like, our students to be able to express themselves or learn about um, or have a community where they feel really, like, secure and comfortable to learn about things that they're really passionate about. Um, like, I can't, I mean, I, I can just imagine, like, for some of these Kids maybe like this is something that they, uh, you know, that they f- that that they go to school and they would love to learn more about, but they're not in a position to continue that. And so um, I think that that element for them is really like I'm I'm grateful that they'll have that opportunity to learn in that way.
0: So this is kind of one of those bigger questions that I don't know we'll be able to fully wrap our heads around, but hopefully, kind of get some seeds thinking, especially as it relates to you know, parents who might be thinking about how to evaluate you know, what a good peer-supported learning system or environment looks like. What does you know, again, quote unquote, success look like in these kind of environments? Should you know? a learner go in and figure out already like what their own goals are for whatever you know, system or community they're a part of? Should there be maybe like publicly viewable goals everyone's working towards? Or should it be maybe a little bit more organic and maybe kind of figure out how to apply things as you learn them?
4: I mean, per- personally, I think depending on the you know what the the you know the community that they're working in look you know what that goal of that common community is. But I also think that in this case, um, having their own goals, especially if we're looking at younger learners, you know, to me makes a lot more sense. They're um, they're doing this out of self-interest, and um, you know, I think like. Figuring out where they are and 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 pushing them to be a bit more self-regulated as part of the process. So I think that that is, um, you know, is probably. I mean, I would imagine is probably a really good idea. Someone might disagree with me, but that's my thinking.
2: No, I was gonna say it's it's all of the above. You know, um, that's the beauty of it. People can go in and if they wanna. Set up goals for themselves right off the bat if they want to just go in and it's it's more of just a free time. I'm going to you know spend some time when I have it that's the beauty of it is it's whatever you want to put into it. I mean I, I think that's that's my answer anyway and again, it does play into not only the interest level of the person but it also um, age can play into it as well.
3: Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with the person and with the environment. I think on the Scratch community, there's a lot of, I guess, more, more organic learning goals going on. Like, um, we don't we don't have, you know, full community goals. Um, some kids might set their own. Or they might just come about um, slowly, slowly, like if, if someone comes in, they really like, cats, they learn, oh, I want to learn how to draw cats, they learn how to draw cats, and then, oh, I want to learn how to animate the cat, and they animate the cat. I want to learn how to make a game with the cat. Um, So just like goals that come along just through some sort of passion that they have.
2: And Franklin, for your computer clubhouse
0: kids, um, what does, you know, Good learning look like. What a successful learning look like. Do you guys have goals that you're setting for them, or milestones, or is it just kind of all organic? Uh, it's it's a mixture. Um, it's it's. I think it's
1: uh, a bit of everything that has been said here. Um, I think that uh, there's, there's some members do come in with with goals, um, and some members it it just forms out of it's it's first just asking the questions like what what are your interests Uh, what are you passionate about and um, from there I think that uh, their their drive to want to achieve goals in um, what they want to do happens so uh, we have family creative learning um, so with that some members may want to see how they can connect the physical and the virtual world together how, how do I make that happen and how can I do that with this with this weird thing called the makey makey and you know how can I have a spoon and still mm-hmm. make a piano, and what I can use bananas and make sounds. Whoa, this this is this is driving me crazy. This is whoa, this is crazy. So, um, it's uh, it's really based off of, um, yeah, just just their interests and and their passions. So, when a member first comes in, uh, my my first question is what, like like what is it that drives you crazy? Like, what is it? What are you What are you interested in? What's and um, from there, that's how. Um, able to, they're able to really um, sift out like what goals they, they want to achieve um, you know, in, in, in that space. But it's really, um, I really see it as like a, a safe haven for them to explore and, and, and express. And then that's how uh, the goals come out organically.
0: So I know that kind of within this learning process, Um, Reflection seems like it's a pretty core part. I mean, you kind of have to look at how far you've come and and what you've learned. And I was just wondering, in each of your own respective experiences, is reflection something that's happening naturally that the learner kind of engages in reflection themselves? Or is that more of a role for the adults and the mentors in the space to kind of engage that? reflection process
1: I think it's happening all across the board I think it's happening with adults and, and mentors I think it's happening with with a uh, with with peers I think reflection happens all the time Uh with I I see that with my members when a member is able to uh, teach another member how to use a uh, a tool like how how to use like Photoshop or how do I get how, how to how to animate a sprite and, and they don't need to to ask uh, they call me mr. O that they don't need to ask mr. O how to program something on on scratch so there's there's that reflection there of like well well this was taught to me and now I can I can also share that which goes back to to, to peer connected learning so I think that there's there's always a reflection that that does ha- happen um, and also in their conversations sometimes. It's like I'm a fly on the wall and I'm and I'm listening and 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 they're talking about, well, um, I developed this this product, this project and um, how how that connected to another. So it's just uh, I think that it, it happens a lot.
4: And for, I have to say, I think from my experiences, you know, working in schools, um, I'd love to see a lot more reflection happening in terms of how we look at assessment and how we have our students self you know regulating their learning in school I mean there's definitely pockets and it's happening more and more but I think very often there's a lot of reflection and um, a lot of learning that happens outside of school that um, when when they come into you know when they come back to school, uh, you know sometimes it can get kind of lost with the kind of assessment that they're required to do um so like i i think that that there's you know i'd love to see a bit more of a connection between you know our students being much more self-regulated and reflective and in their in their actual like you know schooling environment, um, and not just it happening you know when they're outside of school, when they're you know on social media or social networks or learning or peer learning or in you know communities where they are getting that kind of really valuable feedback. So I definitely would love to see more of that.
2: I think any place where you find individuals or, or learners are doing something significant, whether it's in school or out, there's a whole lot of reflection going on the question is is it something that we ever see is it something that's you know just reflection uh, I'm reflecting right now or is it somebody actually documenting the experience because one of the neatest things for me is like, you know just for example going to an art show that we have at the high school and not looking at the works that the kids created as much as reading their reflections about the process and I think again, if we can encourage that, it's hard because we ruin everything in school. Like, all right, we're gonna mandate reflection, which is gonna reflection's gonna stink then and nobody's gonna want to do it. But if we can get, you know, kids to be, you know, self regulate and reflect and find out the meaning in that and then share it, that's almost more meaningful than the, the end product that they come up with. Because it's something they can use wherever they go afterwards.
4: I well, I I mean I'd like to piggyback on that because I think That if we um, change the purpose that we're asking them to reflect, like if there is a real authentic purpose to your reflection and you actually have like a connected audience and like a reason for why we're reflecting and it's not just for like a grade or like it's not going to just be showcased on like the school wall and no one's ever going to see it, then I think that maybe like they're the reason for reflection you know i think that like our children who are like out of school and are reflecting and like are you know on deviant art or <laughs> are, are, are are on wattpad you know they're published authors are 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 reflective on their on their work and are getting you know really critical feedback on their publications and they're reflecting because they actually have an authentic audience so i think that that piece is really important like to have an authentic reason and and to create and make an authenticity is what really makes this type of learning exciting and real and 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 t- like what we why we want to be doing this. So I, I don't I hope that we don't uns- like yeah, I like how that you mentioned like that we are mandating it because it's so true like we mandate it and we like school the love of learning out of these kids.
1: I think that there's uh, when I think about reflection too. I think of uh, ex- being explicit and uh, validation. Um, I feel that um, sometimes uh, learners can be learning things and they're doing these amazing things and and not even know it. But then from there, if if it's if it's explicit as to like really like think like why like what was your process of, of going through this? How did that? You know what? What brought you to make those certain decisions, um, and then I think that that it it, it aids in, in validating you know their work. It, it aids it aids in validating their their identity in in a sense. Um, so I think that yeah. So being explicit and definitely um, it it helps.
3: Yeah, just to go off of all of that, I'd say they're is a lot of reflection going on on Scratch, and I think because there is an audience um, that the kids care about, and they care about what they made. Um, And every Scratch project, when you share it, there is a side panel that uh, allows you to type in the instructions for what you made, as well as something called the notes and credits. So it asks, how did you make this project? Did you use ID scripts or artwork from other people? Um, So that's just a space that a lot of Scratchers use to Uh, you know, talk about how, where they got the idea for making their projects, what they learned while making their projects, you know, I've seen um, a lot, you know, some Scratchers saying things like, oh this is the first time I've ever used the uh, vector editor, That's one of the paint editors we have, or this is the first time I've ever used this cloning function, or whatever, or um, also sometimes they'll reflect on things they haven't learned yet, so I'm still figuring out how to do this. So I think there is a lot of reflection going on in Scratch, and I think it is because of the audience and because it's explicitly I um, feel that they can fill in.
0: That's a great point, Sarah, and that actually brings up, um, segues really nicely into another question that we had kind of before we started this conversation. You know, we know that personal reflection is especially important during the Learning process, but in these particular you know, environments or communities that are really based on collaborating with peers, um, peer feedback and peer review can be really helpful as well. So again, just kind of thinking in mind if you're you know, talking to adults or parents and they're trying to figure out, you know, what is peer-supported learning, what makes peer-supported learning good for their kids, um, in again your respective experiences what is a good feedback system within a, a peer supported learning environment i mean obviously we don't want it to be 100% positive 100% negative so how do you ensure that uh, peer feedback is you know good and effective
4: i think it's really really important as part of teaching our students how to be literate in 2014 that we're teaching them how to provide Critical feedback and criticism in all forums, but especially on in online forums, and I think that that's something that um, has to be taught. I don't think it's inherent, Um, you know, and I think it's really important to sort of distinguish the difference between being hurtful and being critical or being constructive. And so um, I think as a parent. Um, and especially as an educator, that's part of, you know, how we have, you know, one of, you know, so sort of the literacies that we need to address um, with our children in terms of how they are being, you know, constructive, you know, in how they provide feedback, which is also part of the reflective process, right? And it sort of ties nicely within the within the two.
2: Yeah, there's been a lot of, you know, stuff written about false praise and how it's, it's useless. And so just again, I mean we work with teachers on the same thing, just to say it's great or that's, that's awesome. You know, it's, it's meaningless to the, to the person on the other end. So and again, I think it comes down to when people get involved with some of the work whether it's, you know, the scratch community or something else um, similar, you want constructive feedback because it makes you better ultimately and that's, that's what you're there for, to get better, to learn more. Um, so again, I, I think Tanya's right on with that's got to be a basic skill that we teach all of our kids and it's not being mean when you say something that might be uh, a little bit negative. It's actually that's the person you want to spend more time with because they're going to make you better because they're, they're willing to give you constructive feedback.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with Tony and, and Patrick. Uh, I think that um, also uh, just honesty uh, on honesty and um, being able to then um, throw it back on the learner, well, like how like to give that. What what else are you going to do with this? How like how 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 else is this going to be iterated? How you know how far. Can you take this? Is, does does it just die here? Is is it still is it still going to go on? So I think giving it back to the learner again to to iterate I think is uh, is is crucial as well.
3: Yeah, on the Scratch community, um, we, we do a lot to uh, try to encourage them to give uh, constructive feedback to each other. I think one of the most important things we do is just try to do it by example, by leaving constructive comments um, ourselves. That's honestly, I think that I learned the art of giving constructive feedback through being a user on Scratch and seeing other users' um, comments. So that's I think a lot of it uh, is just showing showing by example.
0: That's awesome thoughts, everybody. And hard to believe, but we're a few minutes out from the top of the hour here. So I'm going to move us into our final question before I kind of go down the line and get final thoughts from everybody. But I always like to end things on a a bit of a positive note, if we can. So I'm wondering if any of you have very specific uh, stories in mind of where you saw uh peer supported learning going great or somebody getting kind of an, an aha moment in a peer supported you know, learning environment or community and just kind of pulling from again your respective experiences so whoever would want to jump in on that one feel free
4: I mean just from working with students over the last few years Um, And just sort of seeing the informal learning that happens when you're not structured um, gives them, you know, when they're able to sort of have an opportunity to learn online um, and ask questions that you might not have ever imagined that would come up in the class or, um, you know, the way that they're, like, like I've seen students that would never say three words, you know, um, learn and, like, you know, express themselves or, you know, Share, you know, their thinking in an online forum that, you know, like that, you know, completely blew my mind. Um, so I think that just having that opportunity for them to be able to have a voice in a place that they feel secure, I think, is really important. And, and I think that having that online space is is is, is if used well, um, is really productive for them.
2: We had a, a group of middle school students last year that actually developed a... they printed a, three, a hand for a student that had lost his hand, uh, a young man, and the thing that was amazing to me was, you know, once they got into it, they didn't, they didn't realize how willing people would be to help them and support them in that work. They got into an online community called Enable and um, found all kinds of plans to print hands they ended up connecting with somebody in Asia that um, had some type of string that was um, better to use to help close the fingers. It wouldn't stretch out the material that it was made from. Um, and just to see the look on their faces uh, when they were able to pull off this work because they found the right community to, to help them in this venture. And anything they needed, there were people, you know, again, literally from all over the globe that were willing to help them with that project. and then. Obviously, to see the the student come in and, and get fitted for that hand and to try it out was was just an amazing uh, thing. So that, that's the best example I have. We
1: had a um a, a workshop um in our uh, family tree which we call Scratch Family Night. Uh, in which uh, there was um we started off with this parent who had no uh, really little to no technological experience and. Um, it was able to. It was just great to see um, a lots of like role reversal from the uh, child teaching the parent. But then um, at the end of this uh, five week process, uh, the the parent was was able to to flourish and really uh, create projects and really be e- excited using uh, you know Scratch. And um, that was just really great uh, to to see um, her do. To, be completely like averse from technology, like, hey, I don't know anything about this. I'm just here for my child to, like, you know, she being the motivator, she being um, a kid at heart in expressing herself with technology. And, and I thought that was um, a really uh, great moment to see.
3: With, like, uh, 300, uh, three million users on the Scratch website, I'm sure there are millions of examples of things going on, but I thought of one story that is uh, peer-supported, Learning sort of across age group. Um, over the summer, we had a community initiative that encouraged Scratchers to make characters for other Scratchers to use in their projects. Uh, so I saw one uh, great story of a young girl made a set of of sprites, a spread of, a set of characters uh, with a, a made up some made up animal, and she explained what it was. Um, she got some nice feedback from some constructive criticism from some other users on the website. She made some changes, added uh, some different uh, costumes, some different looks to these characters um, and then a, a, a teenage boy uh, came along and asked if he could use her sprites in a project he was making and asked for permission to change certain things and then uh, developed this uh, pretty sophisticated project using her characters. So this was uh, sort of just uh, I mean, multiple examples of peer-supported learning through constructive criticism and through collaboration.
0: Those are great stories, everybody. Really appreciate you sharing those with us. Uh, so we'll kind of again go down the same line that we started out in the beginning, and gonna kind of put you guys on the spot here. Final thoughts. What would be your you know extremely quick short elevator pitch to a parent about why they should get their kid a little bit more involved in a peer supported learning community or environment even if it's you know the same environment or community that you're a part of so Franklin you want to start us off yeah
1: definitely i um, I would just my uh, pitch to a parent would be uh... to not focus on fear I think to just focus on more so exploration focus on more so ex- um, uh, expression and also um, the, the passion and, and, and the interest uh, that, that lies there w- within your child and, and how technology can uh, be used to, uh, to just further that um, that, would, that would be my, my piece of it my two cents so to speak
0: that's great thanks and Patrick
2: I think all the stuff I'm reading is telling me that the kids nowadays are going to have multiple jobs they're going to go through in their careers. You're not, we're not in a world where you're going to prepare to work one job your whole life. So, people that learn how to connect with others and and learn new things are the ones that are going to be relevant, going to be able to transform themselves when it's time to change careers. And people that are one-dimensional, I think, you're going to be in for a hard time. And again, that's I hopefully won't say it as scary as that, but just to encourage. Um, you know parents like it, it's this is a, a 21st century skill that you must have you need to know where to go to learn what you need to learn when you need to learn it and there's all kinds of groups out there if you know how to find them if they can do it with scratch they can do it with uh, you know one thing um, they can replicate that later on when they need to so it's critical well said thanks Sarah
3: I'd say um, that speaking personally, uh, peer-supported learning changed my life um, through getting involved in the Scratch online community and meeting these peers and getting help uh, from my peers and making friends. Uh, you know, I found a passion for computer science, so I'm majoring in it, but I also learned so many other things that I wouldn't have learned elsewhere. I learned about, you know, how to, how to use um it, I don't know, image editing tools, or how to advertise my projects, how to communicate with people online, all of these things. And I found a passion for this community that, uh, you know, now that I'm um, moderating and helping out with it more, I'm still um, involved in. So uh, I'd say that peer-supporting learning is great because it's really fun and it can lead to awesome, awesome things, awesome passions.
0: That's great, Sarah. Going down the rabbit hole is not a bad thing. And Tanya, you want to round us out?
4: Absolutely. I would say in 2014, our kids are online anyways. They are doing things online and I would much rather teach them and have them harnessing the power of the web in a positive way where they're learning how to have information come to them, how to seek out information, how to connect and network themselves and how to have an authentic audience. So the real question is why wouldn't they be? Why do I even need to convince you? This is what's happening now and you better embrace it or you're going to be left behind.
0: Fair enough well that brings us to the end of this particular conversation and it's been really enlightening and fascinated So, fascinating so thank you everyone um, we're gonna have a full video recording of this up immediately on www.connectedlearning.tv and a lot of other curated content on the way that you guys can share with your networks and communities And this wraps up our second webinar of this month-long series, but that doesn't mean our conversations just have to end or pause here. Um, We encourage everyone to get involved in the ongoing conversations on Twitter. Uh, especially this month with Connected Educator Month using the hashtag CE14. And hopefully you'll also uh, go and make some new friends in the Connected Learning Google Plus community. And if you'd like to know more about the upcoming webinars in this series with EdTech Teacher, uh, please visit either www.edtechteacher.org or www.connectedlearning.tv and sign up for the email newsletters there. And we'll hope that you'll all join us again next Tuesday, October 21st, at this same start time of 5 p.m. Pacific. That's 8 p.m. Eastern. And we're going to chat about what school admins can do to support uh, digital media-heavy, production-centered learning in their own schools. So thanks again, everyone. Really appreciate it.